Please rise for the reading of God's word. The scripture today is Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 48. It's on the screen behind us or on page 885 of your pew Bibles. This takes place the Sunday evening after the resurrection, the first time that that, uh, Jesus encounters his disciples. Let's listen to the word of God. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, in them, to them, peace be, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You were witnesses of these things. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, We're spending one more week on the resurrection. And Brandon will be back to continue the series in First John Abide next week. <clears throat> a number of years ago, I was leading a children's message. And I was using a puzzle. And the children gathered around and I took a piece of the puzzle and I said, this is going to make a beautiful picture. And I looked at the piece and I said, wow, this, this is wonderful. And I put it on the table. I picked up another piece and said, oh, I really, really like this piece. And I put it there. I picked up the third piece and said, oh, I don't like this one. And I threw it out. There's a few protests. And I said, but I like this one. Not this one. Threw it out. And I repeated that a few times. And the protests grew louder and louder. And then I said, what's wrong? And they said, you can't throw away those pieces. But I... I don't like them. They're ugly. I don't want those pieces in my puzzle. And I waited for the answer, but you can't complete the puzzle without the ugly pieces. But I got an even better answer. One six-year-old girl said, don't you know that when the puzzle's completed, even the ugly pieces become beautiful? The ugliest day in human history is the day that the creature crucified the creator. But then, three days later, it all changed. Our Father, bring us, bring us through the cross and through the resurrection today so that we might see you in all your wonder and majesty, but also that we might be heartened that no matter what you bring us through, we can trust you. 
Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, the previous week, I was listening to some talk show hosts, and they were talking about Good Friday. <clears throat> and one of them, a skeptic, but sincerely asked, why do they call it Good Friday? It's a great question. The day that Jesus was crucified called Good Friday? If you had asked any of his followers, ask ask his mother Mary, Mary Magdalene, Peter, John, even the centurion, and I'm sure even Pilate, none of them would have said, this is good. What was done to Jesus that day was not good. And if that was the last piece of God's picture, then all hope would have been dashed. The cruelty of humanity shown at its highest. Death would be victorious and God humiliated. But the resurrection transformed history and change the way we see each of the ugly pieces at the cross. This morning, I'd like to take just four of those pieces and show how the resurrection turns them into things that are beautiful. First, the first piece is the death of hope. You know, a fresh breeze blew across the the land when Jesus began to minister. He offered to the irreligious and the religious, the immoral and the moral, the sinner and the supposed saint, a new life, a new way, the kingdom of God. To all the outcasts and sinners, he welcomed them as a father welcomes, rushes out to greet and to embrace his prodigal son. He ate with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. He mingled with all sinners. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. To religious, he, he offered a new way of life. He said, I bring you a new wine that the old wineskins can't hold. He offered a way that turned following the law from being an incredible burden to offering a new heart on which the law would be written, where the Spirit of God would come in and bring us, not through religion, but through a loving relationship with a gracious Father. He offered to everyone eternal life. He offered it to the religious hierarchy like Nicodemus, to the outcast sinner like the Samaritan woman, to those who followed the right God and those who worshipped false God, to men, to women, to those highly esteemed, to those who are seen as the scum of the earth. He offered this to everyone. Hope rested on the Messiah. And Black Friday took that hope away. 
it was nailed to a cross. The voice that spoke those words of of hope was silenced. The hands that reached out to embrace and love were nailed to a cross. The life that promised such hope had been snuffed out. Those who had crucified Christ killed the hope, claimed victory. We see it in Luke 23. And the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The death of hope. Those who crucified him mocked. The soldiers mocked. Even the criminals mocked him. All that Jesus promised had died with him. Instead of being a bright sunshine that encompassed the earth. He was but a shooting star that was extinguished before it really reached the earth. And look at his followers, all downcast. Peter, weeping. Thomas, becoming a skeptic. All of the disciples cowering away. There was no hope. Hope had died. Dreams extinguished. But three days later, three days later, just as he said, Jesus rose from the dead. And instead of those hopes being dashed on Black Friday, the death of Christ became the foundation and the realization of every hope that he promised. In fact, the hope was so great on that day, we we see the disciples in the upper room and it says, and after Jesus shows himself and it says, while they were still disbelieved for joy, they disbelieved for joy. You know what this is? It's a, this was so incredibly joyful, they couldn't believe it. It couldn't be real. And, and they were marveling And Jesus said, i got to prove it to them. So they think he's a ghost. And he proves to them that he is flesh and blood as he eats the fish. Hope's so great, you can't believe it, but it is true. And Jesus proves it through the resurrection. That transformed everything in the way they viewed the cross. Jesus' death wasn't the end. It was new life. Jesus' crucifixion was their forgiveness. When he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They see that now as God was forsaken. So they never, ever will be forsaken by God when they place their faith in Christ. And the new covenant which promised new life and new heart in the spirit of God they could reflect back to Jesus taking the cup and said, 
this is my blood of the new covenant. And they began to see that he had to shed his blood. He had to die for the new covenant to come. And his promise said, and when I leave you, and, and that's one thing they didn't want. We don't want you to leave us, especially the way you left us, Jesus. He said, but I leave you. I go to prepare a place for you. My father's house has many mansions. I'm preparing a place for you. And they have new eyes on what Black Friday was. It truly was Good Friday for it was the fulfillment, the path of fulfillment of all their hopes and dreams. The second ugly piece is the ugliness of the human soul that we see at the cross. There is no day in human history where the depravity of humanity was on such display. It was very thorough. It was across the board. It was everyone. It was the, it was the religious leader. The religious leaders who, who wanted that power, who didn't want Jesus teaching uh, another way. They're so desperate. They had plotted against the, together against him, and now they carried it out. It was Herod, the king of the Jews, who finally got Jesus. And now he who had executed John the Baptist said, go ahead. It was Pilate who knew Jesus was innocent and still said, take him. It was the commoners who cried out, do you want Barabbas or Jesus? What do I do with Jesus? Crucify him, crucify him. It was the soldiers who it wasn't enough to carry out a job of crucifying him. They had to mock him and ridicule him and, and, and strip him and, and put a robe on and, and beat him and say, tell us who, 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 who is beating you if you're the prophet. And we're going to crown you a king with a crown of thorns. That's what humanity is doing. And Jesus' own disciples, Peter, who said, I will never deny you, denied him to the extent where he said, may God strike me dead if I'm lying to you. I do not know him. All had deserted him. That's humanity on display. But three days later, three days later, Jesus Christ showed that the old can become new. And through his resurrection, he said, there is a new life to you. You no longer have to live in your sin. But you are forgiven You can be forgiven and you can be given a new life. And by seeing the horror, the sin that is in each of us on display on Good Friday, we have one of the most critical pieces in coming to that new life. For to us, to have eternal life, To have new life, we have to believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And nobody is going to accept a Savior unless they believe they need a Savior. And people don't believe they need a Savior. But Good Friday put a lie to that. We might say, well, we're all basically good. Or, you know, if I've done some wrong things, you you know, 
I've made some errors in judgment. I did something stupid. I might even call it sin, but it's not that bad. I'm, I'm really a good person. I'm sure that's what everyone at the cross said on Good Friday. No. In fact, what was at the very heart of the crucifixion is in each one of us. Deceit, need for power, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. It's what put Christ on the cross. It's what in each one of us. We are all desperately sinners who need a Savior. And so in light of the resurrection, we can see that peace that draws us to Christ who died for those sins on Good Friday. And then it becomes the foundation of living out the Christian life because the Christian life is a love relationship with God. We follow him not because we're under an oppressive judge. We follow him because we, are, we love him. But we love because he first loved us. And that's what we see on the cross. The key to, to the transformed Christian life is found in Jesus' little parable where the answer to the question is, he who is forgiven little loves little. He who is forgiven much loves much. We all think we sin little. And that's how big the cross is for us. But when we realize we, we, we were there, who killed Jesus? Jewish leaders, the Roman government, you and me. When we realize that, we realize how big our sin is. And we see how big the cross is, how big the love of God is. And it spurs our hearts to love him and then follow him. The third ugly piece on the cross was that death was victorious. They took Jesus, they crucified him, and then when they went to break his legs so that he would die more quickly, they looked and they saw he's already dead. We don't need to break his legs. So they stabbed a spear into his side and out came Blood and water, the sign of death by a ruptured heart. And they took him and they put him in a cold stone tomb. And they put a giant stone in front to seal his body. He was dead. The women who went to the tomb on Sunday morning didn't go to see if he was alive. They went to prepare his body further because they knew he was dead. The one who said, I bring life had died and was buried. It was over. Death is permanent. And if we think, if we realize the Son of God, the last chapter of his life the final words were, and he died. That those are the final words in the last chapter of every one of our lives. 
no matter how much joy, no matter how much sense of fulfillment we have in this life, no matter what the ups and downs, the heights and lows, the final chapter with the final words of every person's life is, and he and she died. Therefore, we live our entire lives under the shadow of death. That's what Black Friday says. But three days later, they went to the tomb, and the tomb was empty. Death had been conquered. As 1 Corinthians writes, Paul says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sins in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The sting of death was sin. Not the ending of life. See, the greatest nightmare in almost everybody's life is death. And yet, God has an entirely different perspective on death. Go back to the Garden of Eden. God had said, don't eat of the tree. If you do, you'll die. So after Adam and Eve ate ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they died spiritually, but the death process began in their bodies. But there was a hope for them. In the garden, there was also the tree of life. If they could go to the tree of life, they could live forever. Isn't that our dream? But God casts them out of the garden and he puts a flaming sword and cherubim around the tree of life so they could never come back and take of that tree. We look at that and say, God is so unloving. They could have had the tree of life, but he did everything to keep them from it. Resurrection shows he wasn't unloving. He was very loving to keep us from having life. Because if Adam and Eve had eaten of that tree, they would have lived forever just as they were. In their sin, in a marred, twisted version of the image of God. They would have had a broken relationship with God a broken relationship with others, a broken relationship with themselves. But God said, I don't want that. I have something better for you. Death is not the end. It's the beginning. And as John tells us, beloved, we are God's children. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears... What? We shall be like him because we see him as he is. Do you realize when we die, when we see Jesus face to face, we will be like him. The image of God in us will be transformed and changed. We will be what we are always meant to be. We will have a face-to-face relationship with the God who loves us. We will have that kind of relationship with each other and everyone there. And we will now be free and authentic, honest, 
with ourselves, understanding completely who we are, receiving the glory that God wants to bestow on us. Death isn't the biggest nightmare. Living forever as we are is the biggest nightmare. And the resurrection says, Oh, death, where is your victory? It's in the resurrection. It's the victory. The fourth piece is the humiliation of God. It would have been humiliating enough for God to divest himself of his regal robes and his glory and to become man and walk this earth. It would be akin, we can't even make this comparison, but think of you becoming an ant, the humility in that. And that illustration pales in comparison to God taking on flesh. That, that's enough humility. But not only did Jesus become man, he came to serve us. That's certainly beyond enough. He came to wash our feet. That's humiliating. Yet he did that. That would have been enough. But then he he brought his teachings, great teachings of life. And it was rejected and criticized. He brought miracles. And they said the miracles were from demons. That's enough humiliation. And then they arrested him and they gave him an unfair trial. That's far beyond enough humiliation. But then they took him and they nailed him to a cross the most humiliating of deaths for anyone. But that wasn't enough. They mocked him while he's on the cross and they beat him before it. And yes, they made a mockery of his being king of the Jews. We wouldn't do that to the worst of criminals. We did that to God. We humiliated him. But on the third day, he was glorified. And he rose in glory. And when we see that glory, the way we view the humiliation of God on Good Friday is transformed. Because we see now, not that God was humiliated, but that God gave himself over to such humiliation so that he could save us. That's glory. The psalmist says that the heavens declare the glory of God. See, we can see a lot of the glory of God, but looking out at the stars, we see the majesty of God, the vastness of God, the omnipotence of God, the omnipresence of God. We can see the goodness of God and what he's provided, that he's made us and given us choice. We see the constancy of God as uh, the faithfulness of God as the sun rises and the sun sets every day. There's so much about God that we see in creation. There's some things we cannot see just by looking at creation. 
We cannot understand how holy God is. We cannot understand how just he is. And we cannot scratch the surface of how loving he is. Although we see incredible love in the creation. But all of those are seen in the cross. God is so holy, he cannot allow sin to enter his presence. Therefore, when his son took upon our sin, he had to forsake his own son, whom he loved from eternity past. God's justice is so important to God that he not only had to turn his back on the sin that Jesus bore, but he had to pour out his entire wrath upon Jesus to be a just judge. And oh, the love of God. He didn't just create and say, have a wonderful time. He created and he saw what we had done to this earth and his heart went out and he took all of that humiliation upon himself. That is love that is incomprehensible. The humiliation of God at our hands is the incredible display of the glory of God and who he is. Philippians gets it right. Being found in the form, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and on heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, God demonstrates his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Good Friday. That's the love of God. That's the glory of God. See, resurrection takes the ugliest pieces in human history, turns them into the most beautiful. That's the God you have. What's the ugly pieces in your life right now? You know, they were ugly on Good Friday. They were ugly on Saturday. They were beautiful on Sunday. Ugly pieces in your life right now, they may be ugly tomorrow. But in light of the resurrection and all that changes, have hope. The God who turned Dark Friday into Good Friday is your God. Our Lord, we thank you for your care for your love, for your entrance into our history and my history. Praise your name. 
we exalt Jesus as he has poured out grace that is beyond measure, love that is incomprehensible. Lord, you've given us amazing grace that's almost too hard to believe.